0: Well, it truly is getting harder and harder to feel at home in this world anymore, isn't it? We are in one Samuel, the book of one Samuel, chapter twenty-two. One Samuel, chapter twenty-two. Lesson that I began, uh, that I started last Sunday morning, on obsession, and we're dealing with the obsession of uh, Saul this morning. So, one Samuel, chapter twenty-two, and and eight negatives that uh, come about as a result. Of obsession, 1 Samuel chapter 22, 1 Samuel chapter 22, and we're going to begin reading once again in verse number 7, so 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse number 7, once you find your place, let's go ahead and stand in reverence to God's word uh, this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 22. The word of God says, Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards, make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. There There is none of you that is sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day." And then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was said over the servants of Saul. And he said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came all of them to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of a high tub. And he answered, Here am I, my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why? Why have ye uh, conspired against me, that thou and the son of Jesse, and that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me, to lie in wait, as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, and who is so faithful among all thy servants is David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now once again that you would just bless all that uh, is said and done here this morning. And Father, we pray that your will would be done, Lord, that as Satan and his angels try to Uh, uh, Disrupt and hinder your word this morning father that your word in spite would fall On fertile soil this morning We pray if there's anyone here who does not know christ as personal savior That today would be that day that they would come to that saving knowledge. We thank you now in jesus name Amen, okay, you may be seated last week we talked about obsession and uh, that even some some good things uh, or some things that are good, if we are obsessed with them, can actually become that uh, which is bad. You ever known someone who is obsessed with something? Now uh, we looked at obsession last week, and of course, Webster's Dictionary says that it's a com- it's compulsive, often anxious preoccupation with a fixed idea or a compulsive, usually irrational idea or emotion. You know, I've known people who love fishing, and I've known people who are obsessed with fishing. I've known people who uh, love other things. And we even talked about, even within the Christian realm, we have to be careful because God wants us to be balanced. There is a lot in Christianity that God expects from us. God wants us to serve. Well, last week, we looked at Martha, how she was so obsessed with serving that it actually hindered her from hearing the Word of God preached. And, of course, sometimes we can be obsessed with other things. Uh, uh, I've known uh, in, in my lifetime, in my ministry, I've known individuals obsessed with prophecy. That's their obsession. And anytime you talk to them, That's all they want to talk about. They want to talk about prophecy, and and what do you think about this, and what do you think about that? Listen, prophecy is part of the Bible, but it's not the only part of the Bible. I mean, there are uh, moral obligations in the Bible. There are duties, and oftentimes I've noticed that those individuals obsessed with prophecy um, don't serve that much. Oftentimes, are sporadic in their in their church attendance because they're at home on the internet searching anything and everything that has to do with prophecy, and oftentimes that obsession gets them all mixed up as far as true biblical uh, prophecy. And so, we need to be careful that we don't become obsessed or just uh, uh, single-minded. In areas that disallow us from the other things that God would have us to do. We talked about the church. There are many ministries in the church. And uh, the church is a body. And in a body, you've got to have a foot. You've got to have two feet, actually. You've got to have legs. You've got to have a trunk. You've got to have arms. You've got to have hands and fingers. Well, If uh, any one part of the body becomes obsessed with just that part of the body, man, it messes the, the rest of the body up. And so as we're looking at Saul here this morning, Saul's bitterness is now eating him to the point where it is destroying his life. I would imagine that any conversation you ever had with Saul, at least during this point, had to involve David because Saul is obsessed. And again, you ever, uh, you ever talk to someone who is obsessed with something? Maybe somebody, I, I used to know this guy, he was obsessed with finances. Everything had to do with finances. And so he'd get involved in these, uh, well, oftentimes he'd get involved in these uh, pyramid schemes. At one point it was Amway. And why? And And, and I remember he used to tell me, uh, preacher, I just want to—I want to be part of the one percent in this country. I want to be a millionaire, and—and uh, and he didn't realize that that became his obsession. Every decision he made, where he was going to live, and—and the—the sad thing about it was, this was an individual who had a good education and already made really good money. But he was obsessed. Everything was finances. Finances this and finances that. He went from a one pyramid scheme to another pyramid scheme and, and, and then to another pyramid scheme. It was just one thing after another. And it was always this obsession with finances. Uh, we, we need to be careful that we don't become obsessed with one single thing. Saul, and oftentimes, obsession is a result of bitterness. Somebody wrongs you, and you become obsessed with their, uh, well, you become obsessed with their punishment, or you just become obsessed with them. They've hurt you, and you can't forget about it, and you ever met someone like that where they have become obsessed with someone because someone hurt them. Well, you know, Saul feels that David has betrayed him. He hasn't, but he feels that he has. And Saul just becomes more and more bitter. And as a result, he becomes extremely obsessed. And we can definitely see that the ridding this world of David was King Saul's obsession. I'll be fine if I could just rid David or rid this world of David. And so he made David public enemy. Number one. Well, and as I said last week, we can see that this obsession caused eight negative things in his life. And I want you to write them down. Last week, we talked about the first one. One of the things that an obsession can do to you is cause you to become comatose to the truth. Now, we talked about when someone's in a coma, they just do not react. And when they're comatose to the truth, that is, they do not react to the truth, Oftentimes, they'll even create their own facts to match up with their obsession. 1 Samuel chapter 22, in verse number 8, the Bible says, uh, here's what Saul says in his obsession. All of you have conspired against me. There is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. Not true. There is none of you that is sorry for me. That might have been true. A very few of us feel sorry for someone who's constantly having a pity party. So that may have been true. Uh, But his son had not made a league with David to conspire against Saul. He says, uh, and none of you have shown unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. All of these things were absolutely false. This was not true. David was fleeing for his life. He was not laying in wait so that he could kill Saul. As a matter of fact, when David was given the opportunity to kill Saul, on numerous occasions, he refused to do so because he was so loyal to the king. It is amazing to me how when we become obsessed And as I was just sitting here, uh, I was sitting here and I was thinking, you know, that our society is obsessed with certain things. And it causes our society to neglect the truth and to deny the truth and even to come up with their own facts. And I, I was sitting there and I was, aside from the obvious, obviously over the last year we've been obsessed with covid and I think that has led to some lies also. But nonetheless, aside from the obvious, I was thinking even longer and deeper than that. You know, during the 60s, uh, the United States of America was going through some changes, and, and, and some of them good, but one of them was it, not good at all. Um, there were several revolutions going on during the 60s, and I think one of them that has caused us as a nation now decades later to become obsessed with the subject is the sexual revolution. I mean, there was the sexual revolution during the 60s, and, of course, there was the free love and and this and that. And and isn't it amazing how that you can take every single policy of the United States of America today, uh, and you can take every single major thing that a candidate, uh, well, runs on... And it almost all has to do with sex. We have become obsessed with sex. Now think about it. One of the things we want to know about a candidate, are you pro-choice? Which, by the way, is not pro-choice at all, not for the baby. Or are you pro-life? Well, honestly, that all has to do with, I want to be able to have sex with whoever I want and not have to suffer the consequences, the consequences of an unwanted pregnancy. By the way, you know how to avoid an unwanted pregnancy? Don't have sex. Say, so, well, that's not that simple. Well, it, 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 was, for, it was for centuries. How come it, it's not now? I'll tell you why it's not now. Because we are obsessed with it, even to the point that uh, it, uh, the, the side of the aisle you fall on is determined by where you stand on the subject. Pro-life, pro-choice. Uh, how about where do you stand on the transgender movement? It all has to do with sex. Where do you stand on the homosexual movement? It all has to do with sex. Now we've made it a, a civil rights issue, but it's not. It's because we are obsessed Without one subject, we become so obsessed with it that we have denied the truth. The Bible says this, and science backs it up. In the beginning, God created them male and female. And science backs that up. The chromosomes back that up. You know what doesn't back it up is our feelings, our emotions. How we feel. Our modern day obsession. We are so obsessed with this one subject that now we'll even lie about the subject. He, um, Saul is doing the same exact thing that we do in society today. He has become obsessed. And there is such an obsession that he has not only twisted the truth, he's denied the truth. Um, And it is, man, it's even fallen to the churches. Listen, when the truth was presented to Saul, he disregarded it. Look at what Ahimelech says in verse number 14 of 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse number 14. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law? So he states the facts, but Saul's comatose to the facts. You know that when a man marries a woman and they, and they, they manage to, to stay married, there are some positive consequences that go along with that, that today we're denying. And today people will say, you know, there really are no, there's no essential consequences to having premarital sex and and, and trying people out before you get married. But you know, statistics, the facts do not bear that out. First of all, there's... Uh, Uh, their sexually transmitted diseases second of all what it does to people emotionally when they enter a marriage and as a pastor i have to deal with this when people enter a marriage after they've already had physical relationships with others they bring that into their marriage they bring the thoughts into their marriage they bring the memories into their marriage and they bring the suspicion into their marriage and it's no wonder they're more likely to to become divorced then if a man and a woman saves themselves, which is becoming rarer and rarer in today's society, but nonetheless, if, if a man and a woman saves themselves from marriage and they are fortunate enough to meet up with one another and marry one another, man, their marriage is rock solid according to statistics and according to facts. But we are given this bill of goods that you know what it really doesn't matter sex is normal there's nothing wrong with it which by the way in marriage is absolutely true god created it for us he's given it to us it was it's a great gift it's a wonderful gift that god has given to us but we have become so obsessed with it that now we are lying about the, the the facts about it um, when the truth is presented we disregard it and we'll immediately rather than uh, rather than debate the facts we'll immediately turn to name calling well, you're just a bigot. You're just old-fashioned. You know, people like you just need to uh, die off of the scene so that we can go into a more progressive movement. It's because you can't argue with facts, and so you just got to turn to name-calling. You're, uh, you're, you're uh, <laughs> like I said, you're prejudiced. You're a bigot. You know, a Himalek, like Jonathan before him. Presented Saul with the facts about David, but Saul's obsession totally disregarded the facts. And as a matter of fact, what did King Saul do to those who presented the facts to him? He outlawed them. He banned them. Look at what he does to, to Ahimelech in verse number, uh, verse number 16. I'm sorry, verse number, yeah, verse number 16. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die. Why? For speaking the truth. Now, if this would have been today, Ahimelech would have gone onto Twitter. And he would have said, Why is King Saul saying all these things, all these false things about David? Why, David has been faithful, and David has been good. And who's been a better servant to Saul? You know what Saul would have done? He would have had him banned off Twitter. And then if Ahimelech would have gone to Facebook and and stated the facts, well, we know what would have happened. He would have been banned from Facebook. You see, here's the thing. When we become obsessed with lies, we hate anything that is contrary to, to our own opinion. Saul couldn't ban him from Twitter. He couldn't ban him from Facebook. So he just said, you're going to die. We, we don't want to hear uh, another side of the story. You're going to die. You're going to be banned. And what does he do? Verse number 18. The king said to Doeg, turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and he fell upon the priests and slew on that day four score and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. And such is the case when we become obsessed. We become comatose to the truth. Well, the second thing that, and we, we went over that last week, and I know that last week the system crashed. I don't know if you can go back to YouTube and, and, and get last week's message. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, let's look at the second thing. First of all, the first negative of an obsession. Comatose to the truth. Second negative of an obsession. Controlled by emotion. Controlled by emotion. And we can certainly see that Saul, rather than listening to the facts is controlled by his emotions. Your emotions are not always right. Well, this is how I feel, Pastor. Well, the way you feel isn't always right. And I know this as a pastor because I've sat down with couples before and I can see the danger signs and I've said, well, hey, listen, here's the danger signs that I see and they always say, well, this is how we feel. And you just don't understand how we feel. And then you just say, okay, well, then let the consequences be what they may." It's funny how after they've been married for a while, they don't feel that way anymore. Because our feelings lie to us. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. My, I've sat down with people and I've said, well, this is what the Bible says. He's not saved or this is what the word of God says. He's not a spiritual leader. Yes, but pastor, you just don't know him very well. You're right. I don't, but I do know this much. He doesn't have a very good testimony. Yes, but you just don't know how we feel about each other. It's amazing how those feelings disappear after few years Saul's emotions definitely deceived him concerning David turn back to 1st Samuel chapter 18 1st Samuel chapter 18 1st Samuel chapter 18 as they are coming back from battle there's a huge celebration going on in 1st Samuel chapter 18 verse number 7 And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Look at verse number 8. Saul was very wroth. His emotions now are getting the best of him. The saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. What can he have more but the kingdom." thing is, he didn't want it. He wanted to serve as king. And as Ahimelech would point out, there hasn't been a more faithful servant to you than David. And he's your son-in-law. Twice, David would have the opportunity to rid himself of Saul, and yet he would refuse to take it. Both times, once while Saul was fast asleep, and they needed some supplies, so they went into the camp, and there was Saul, right for the picking. And we know what happens after David and his men came out, which, by the way, the men wanted to kill Saul, and David wouldn't let them. And so after they went out, Saul, David went up onto the hill, and then he cried out, and he woke them all up, and he said, Saul, I could have killed you tonight, but I refused. It still wouldn't convince Saul, however, because his emotions were controlling him. There was another time when they were in a cave. David's men were in a cave and they were hiding out. And Saul and his men were looking for David. And Saul said, excuse me, I've got to go use the restroom. And so he went into the cave where David and his men just happened to be. David cut a piece of his coat off that he had laid down there on the ground. Was tempted to kill him, I'm sure, as we all would have been, but he refused. When Saul was finished, he went back down with his men and David came out and said, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. It's amazing how people, when they're controlled by their emotions, they can have the truth right in front of them. And yet, they still won't accept it. You know why? They're controlled by their emotions. And once again, we certainly live in, a, in an emotional society today. Listen, once again, God has given us emotions to enhance, not to control. We ought to be in control of our emotions. The Bible says, be angry. There's nothing wrong with being angry. Sometimes we need to be angry. When our kids disobey, we ought to be angry with them. When they go out of their way to lie. Listen, that's not a good pattern to start as a young child. We ought to be angry with them. But the Bible says, be angry and sin not. In other words, I used to have this trick, and, and none of us are perfect parents, I understand that. But sometimes my kids had the ability to make me so mad that I knew that if even if I disciplined them biblically in that moment, it would have been sinful because I probably would have beat them to death. And so I can remember I'd get so mad. I would tell my kids, I, I, I'm, I'm done talking. I can't say anything right now. I can't even do anything right now. Go to your room. And then they would know, okay, I better go to my room or else dad might be convicted of murder, and I'll be the victim. And so I would. I'd send them to their room, and then I would just do everything I could to cool down. Because the Bible says be angry. When your kids lie to you, you need to be angry. But sin not. That's not a license to beat your kids it's not a license you I mean we we definitely need to discipline them and there need to be consequences and they need to realize that this was not a good thing but we also and say preacher did you ever? yeah I I did what what parent hasn't unfortunately there were times that I did discipline out of anger and 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 shouldn't have and Sometimes the grounding was a lot longer than it should have been, and sometimes the, uh, the timeout was a lot longer, and sometimes the spanking was probably harder than it should have been because we're all human. But nonetheless, uh, the Bible says be angry and sin not. You know, husbands and wives, we're going to get into spats. And sometimes it's better just to cool off and then come back and to discuss it, rather than to fly off the handle and start saying things you can never take back. And that doesn't just go with husbands and wives, that goes with anyone in your life. Any relationship that you have, I know, I know for a fact, people have said things to me that they wish that they could take back. And I know that I've said things to people I wish that I could take back simply because be angry and sin not. God has given us these emotions and uh, we need to, uh, which by the way, that's why one of the fruits of the spirit is what? Temperance. Because God's given us emotion, but he's also given us the Holy Spirit once we're saved to help us to keep those emotions in check Saul was trying to rid himself of the best thing that could have happened to his kingdom because he was being controlled by his emotions the best servant that he had ever had the most loyal servant that he had ever had the one servant that would be given the opportunity to kill him and be given a million reasons to kill him but he'd refuse but Saul was so controlled by his emotions You know, your emotions can rob you of true gain and spiritual blessing. In Luke chapter 17, verse number 32, Jesus makes this statement, a short statement that has a huge lesson in it. Remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife had become so emotionally attached to her life That when God's word came and said, thus saith the Lord, you need to get out of town. And you need to leave everything behind. Anyone that won't come with you, you're just going to have to say goodbye. Because I'm going to destroy this place. And they were told, don't look back. You just keep going. Kind of like what we're supposed to do in the Christian life. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And just as the song says, though no one, none will join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. And yet oftentimes we get so emotionally involved in this life that we can't do it. Lot's wife couldn't do it. By the way, one of the lessons Jesus taught continually, that if you love mother or father, son or daughter, and the list could go on and on and on, more than me, then you're not worthy of me. Hey, if we're controlled by emotions, that's impossible to live by. And yet, it's what Jesus has commanded of us. That which we love so much, when contrary to God's word, can be the greatest robber of our spiritual blessing. You know, I believe God had blessings in store for Lot and his wife for being obedient. But she robbed herself of those blessings. Make sure your religion is based on truth and not emotion. Make sure your Christianity is based on, based on truth. And not emotion. Make sure your life is based on the truth of the Word of God and not emotion. Saul's obsession it left him comatose to the truth. Saul's obsession caused him to be controlled by his emotions. I want you to look at the third thing this morning. Saul's emotion or Saul's obsession also, caused him to be condescending toward God's ways. Very condescending toward God's ways. And when Ahimelech tried to present the truth to him, he was just extremely condescending. In verse number 16 in 1 Samuel 22, the king said, Thou shalt surely die. Ahimelech just laid out the truth. He said, this is what I know to be the truth. And Saul was just condescending to the truth, which is exactly what people do. We must remember that Saul's obsession, it was caused by bitterness. He was bitter. Hebrews 12.15 warns us, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. People become condescending toward the grace of God when there's bitterness in their life. And then that bitterness will cause others to be defiled. I want you to notice that the bitterness defiled Saul. It also affected those around him. While you could could not be friends with Saul... And with David at the same time, it would cause problems. And that's what Ahimelech is doing. Ahimelech pretty much says, listen, you're our king. This is what I did because this is what I believed to be the truth. And Saul said, oh, no, you can't be my friend and his friend at the same time. And it happens in churches where forgiveness is not practiced and bitterness is allowed to fester. And while you can't hang out with that family and this family, otherwise you're not going to have anyone. So just as Saul's bitterness led to his ultimate end, so too will our bitterness lead to ultimate destruction. And sadly, it's become the destruction of many churches simply because two sides could not get along. Saul's obsession left him comatose to the truth. Saul's obsession caused him to be controlled by emotion. Saul's obsession caused him to be condescending toward God's ways. Number four, Saul's obsession caused him to be Characterized by extremism. Characterized by extremism. Look at verse number 16 of 1 Samuel 22. The king said, Let's discuss this. <laughs> no, it's extreme. You're banned. Thou shalt surely die. Obsession detests and even persecutes those who are in disagreement. Detests them. Persecutes them. Bans them. Censors them. I want you to notice Cain's disdain for Abel. Keep your finger here in 1 Samuel. And we see this. Uh, this happened at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 4. The book of Genesis, chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, and beginning in verse number 5. Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 5. Now, we know the story here. Abel brought an offering before God. Let's just look at verse number 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Okay, so God even God even tries to convince Cain From his own word. He says, Cain, why be so angry? You know what what my word is. You know what my ways are. Cain, I'm not saying you didn't work just as hard as Abel. See, a lot of people, they just, they get upset because they feel that you're insulting them. I know I've talked to individuals before trying to show them how they're Their baptism is not scriptural. And emotionally they latch out, they lash out. What's wrong with my baptism? Who do you think you are? Well, honestly, I know I'm nobody, which is why we've got to look here. And we've got to say, Okay, here's the situation. Scriptural baptism, number one, requires a believer. You were baptized as an infant. Let's let's reason together. Let's see what scripture has to say. I'm not saying that my baptism's any better than yours. I'm just saying that this is scriptural baptism. This is not scriptural baptism. Hey, and what people uh people forget is that I was baptized as an infant. And then I had to get. Re-baptized, if you will, or scripturally baptized after I came to know Christ as my personal Savior. Thankfully, I was never attached to that baptism because I didn't even remember it. But some people become very attached to that unscriptural and or infant baptism. Well, Cain's offering was unbiblical. That was the only difference between his and Abel's. Abel was not any more sincere than Cain. Abel didn't work any harder than Cain. As a matter of fact, a lot of times, the unsaved work harder than those who are saved. But of course, we're not saved by works. And so Cain is upset. God says, why are you upset? Just bring the right offering, and you'll be accepted. If thou doest well. Shalt thou not be accepted? What he's saying here is, I don't like Abel better than I like you. He just brought the right offering. People will often say, well, you guys, uh, you're awful arrogant if you think you're going to heaven and I'm not. It's not arrogance. It's just that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what God said. And God would line us all up and say, well, these are on their way to heaven because they accepted Christ as their personal Savior, but they're not any better than these over here who are on their way to hell. The difference is sins are forgiven. Sins have not been forgiven. Are they all sinners? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I would dare say that there are some over here who are saved on their way to heaven who are worse sinners or were worse sinners than any of these will ever be, but they're forgiven. That's the difference. They're not better people. They're forgiven. Jesus is the great one. His blood is the perfect one. He's the cleansing one. And these have been cleansed. Sometimes you can go look at a couple of houses. I can remember when we were looking at houses, I remember we went and looked at this really, really nice house, but it was filthy, hadn't been taken care of, and I was like, you know, I don't want this one. We actually ended up going to a smaller one that wasn't as nice, but it was well taken care of, it was clean. And what was the difference? Well, this one was clean, and this one wasn't. This one was taken care of. This one wasn't. You see, when, God, when Christ's blood enters the scene, it changes everything. These have been taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who have not been saved have not been taken care of. It's not that one's better than the other. So let's get back to our text here. Genesis chapter 4, verse number 8. So Cain hears the word of God, but he doesn't like it. And oftentimes when people hear the word of God but don't like what it says, then they'll attack the messenger. So Cain and Abel talked. And I can only imagine how this conversation went. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Why? Well, once again, I think a lot of reasons. I believe Cain was being controlled by his emotions rather than by the word of God. And as he and Abel were talking, and Abel would not bend to his will. Abel would not see see things Cain's way. Then there's that extreme reaction. Kill him. Ban him. Get rid of him. Censor him. You notice how people are obsessed with their own opinions? Now that... Uh, And they're so obsessed with their own opinions now that anyone who disagrees with them is fair game for absolute destruction. Well, he said this, and I don't disagree with it, so I want him to lose his job. I want him to be an outcast in society. And we've seen that happen. We've seen, uh, well, and we know, I think we all can agree here that Hollywood hates God. And Hollywood hates conservatism. Because, and I'm not saying that conservatives are godly, but I am saying that they more lean towards godliness, obviously. And that oftentimes, well, well it's hard to work in Hollywood if you're a conservative, it's next to impossible. And if you happen to say something that's a little bit conservative, the extreme reaction is, take their job away. Destroy their reputation. Ban them. Kill them. And is that not exactly what Cain did to Abel? Listen, since we can't agree on this, kill him. Get rid of him. Look at what Christ said. I want you to, to see the difference. When, the, when Jesus and the disciples went into Samaria and the Samaritans at one point rejected Jesus, do you remember what James and John said? They said, Lord, let's just bring lightning down and kill him." <laughs> and Jesus pretty much said, no, we don't operate that way. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 14, as Jesus is sending them out to be witnesses, he says this, Whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake out the dust of your feet. Now, that was a pretty condemning gesture, but it wasn't persecution, and it certainly wasn't bringing lightning and thunder down upon them. And there's a pretty deep meaning to that. But essentially, they shook the dust off their feet and they went to the next one. And to the next one. You know, that is a good rule on uh, on visitation. You go and you hand a track to someone and they get upset and they throw the track in your face. What do you do? You just go to the next house. You don't do anything. You go to the next person. Um... A religion, and by the way, I know I've been picking on on one group, but but I want to tell you something, that in the name of Christianity, a lot of people have been killed and persecuted. A religion that kills, cancels, or persecutes those who do not accept their way is no religion, but rather an obsession. Around 300 A.D. or so, infant baptism was introduced to Christianity. Those who knew the truth rejected it and were persecuted for centuries. Burned at the stake, hung on crosses, tortured choked for centuries and of course all this persecution was under the guise of christianity and so i don't blame people when they look at christianity and say well you guys were you guys are the worst man you've persecuted more and i get that But let me just say this. They were not Christians, nor was it a Christian organization, nor was it a Christian church that has ever persecuted or killed or destroyed people. That's not what Jesus taught. But I will say this. It's what the Pope taught. It's what other Christian organizations have taught. And other churches have taught, but I will say this also, they're not Christian. They weren't Christian. They aren't Christian. A religion that kills, cancels, or persecutes those who do not accept their ways, not, it's not a biblical religion. It's an obsession. But let me add to this. A lifestyle that kills, cancels, or persecutes those who do not accept it is probably not a valid lifestyle. Truth always prevails and does not require an obsession. Saul's obsession left him comatose to the truth. It caused him to to be controlled by emotion. Caused him to be condescending toward God's ways. Caused him to be characterized by extremism. All negatives. Listen, Christian, that we need to guard ourselves against. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. We still have three more, at least another Sunday. But let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I hope you understand that there's a difference between dedication and obsession. God wants us to be dedicated to his ways, plural, not obsessed to a singular way.